You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Love is always highly intelligent. It involves the intellectual and intelligent aspects are indeed the most prominent. Because think about it, it responds through information. Like, for example, the, the, the teaching of the Word of God. What John is encouraging us and exhorting us to do. It begins with the information that we receive from the Word of God. This is what God expects. These are the things that are pleasing to God. Not only that we love him, but that we also love uh, the brethren. Our culture has taken a view of Christians as being simpletons who are too gullible and believe ancient fairy tales over proven facts. This is an ugly deception that has taken hold of their hearts. It comes from a place of pride. They've esteemed their own reason for being higher than God's and have tried to write him out of the equation altogether. As Pastor Mike will explain in today's message, to follow Jesus requires an intelligence that transcends the limits and understanding of modern science. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 John chapter 3 as he begins his message, Love in Action. This evening's message, the title is Love in Action. Love in Action. So 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. John tells us, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, referring to Christ in context. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So Christ has given us a wonderful example to follow. We're to follow in his footsteps as it relates to loving one another. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide him? So a a pretty interesting question. Uh, In verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Um, By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So once again, this evening's message, love in action. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about the practical side, level, and the application of loving the brethren. That's what our text of Scripture is all about. And so John, who is the writer of this epistle, is giving us certain illustrations in order that we may be perfectly clear in our minds as to what he means and in order that we may not be deceiving ourselves. 
the truth of the matter is we can think that we are a loving person, that we are truly loving one another, and the truth of the matter is that we are not. We can actually deceive ourselves. You know, go back to verse 10, which was a part of one of our previous studies, and notice what John tells us there. He says, if we do not love our brother, we are not of God. And uh, so this is some pretty significant stuff. It's, it's the way that we can gauge whether or not that we are truly of God. So I want to begin this evening's message by giving you a basic definition of what love is, what love looks like. So that brings us to our first point, and that is love's definition. And again, the reason why we want to begin here is because I think that there is a lot of confusion surrounding this subject. We talk a lot about love and loving one another, but what does that mean? What, what does God expect of us? And how can we uh, do that in some really practical ways? Okay, so here's some of the definitions or uh, explanations of what love is, what love looks like. First of all, love is always highly intelligent. It involves the intellectual and intelligent aspects are indeed the most prominent. Because think about it, it responds through information. Like, for example, the, the, the teaching of the Word of God. What John is encouraging us and exhorting us to do. It begins with the information that we receive from the Word of God. This is what God expects. These are the things that are pleasing to God. Not only that we love Him, but that we also love uh, the brethren. It's a conscious choice that we make, right? So it involves our intelligence. It's a choice, a conscious choice. Secondly, it is never elemental or instinctive. Why? Because love is something that penetrates to the person. It goes beyond the superficial and the visible, the carnal and physical attraction to something bigger and something deeper. Another explanation or another part of this definition Love overcomes obstacles and excuses. Uh, it sees beyond what it does not like and minimizes it. You know, I mean, apart from, from Christ, I mean, think about our BC days. And, you know, we would love those people who were lovable. But again, the gospel makes these great demands upon us that we are to love the unlovable as well, right? So it makes these, it places these great demands upon us. It sees beyond what it does not like and minimizes it in order to see the person who is at the back of it. i got to be honest with you. There are some people that, before my conversion experience, I, I, I wouldn't love them. I, I wouldn't want to even associate with them. But therein, you know, here, that's exactly where God comes in, because he gives us his heart. He enlarges our heart. He uh, makes us interested in other people's lives, Right? And uh, we want to participate. We want to encourage. We want to strengthen. We want to be there for the other person. And so it penetrates beyond the ugliness and unattractiveness of other people. It's loving those whom we do not like and treating them kindly. Okay, so there is the basic definition, a working definition, of what love is, what love looks like, what John, who is the writer of this epistle, is speaking about. Now, with that out of the way, 
Let's deal with some of these different aspects concerning love. The first of which is, let's go back to our text. Notice in verse 18, let's read that again. He says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I got to tell you something. I mean, how many times has, uh, you know, you become aware of a conversation that someone may be having uh, before the service or maybe after the service, things that are going on in their lives, some struggles, some difficulties, and, and, uh, and you get drawn into the conversation. And, uh, you know, you're thinking, oh, man, how, you know, how can I get involved in this person's life? How can I uh, assist them? How can I lighten their load? And sometimes we only respond by saying, hey, well, brother, I'll be praying for you. But, you know, is that going to really help them? Uh, the words that we speak, you know, we need to actively be involved in each other's lives to be there for one another. The first danger we encounter in trying to obey this command is that we approach this, and this brings us to our second point, in a theoretical kind of a way. In a theoretical kind of a way, which is very dangerous. We may have good intentions to want to get involved, to be there for that person, to uh, relieve them in their sufferings, whatever, but it's only in a theoretical kind of a way. You see, for example, how easy it is to be content with only thoughts and with feelings concerning the things we believe and never put them into practice. You know, we would say to ourselves, well, you know, Pastor Mike, you know, there really isn't anyone that I don't love in the congregation. Oh, really? Okay, well, when God brings your attention to a specific person in their particular need, how are you going to respond to it? And if you're not responding to it, you're only doing it in a theoretical kind of a, a way. Think about that, right? So there's a responsibility that we have one towards another. This is the family that God has given to us. So how easy it is to fall in love with loving instead of actually loving. I mean, you know, every one of us wants to be put into that category of an extremely loving person. We want to be thought of in that way. Oh, Mike, yeah, he's a really loving kind of a guy, you know. But there's involvement here. That's a part of this whole aspect of, of loving one another. How easy it is to read a book about love, about the actions of saints who demonstrated love. You read the biographies, the autobiographies of saints that have gone before us and the many sacrifices that they made, and we admire them, right? We're captivated by the things that have been written about them. Our spirits are lifted. We thank God for those individuals. And then the next minute, go out and become annoyed or bad-tempered or fail in some simple elementary duty. Now listen, this is a part of a process, no doubt. I mean, we're all human, right? There are people who say things that are unkind to us or offend us who may not even be aware of the fact that we, that we have been offended. But nevertheless, there's still that responsibility that has placed, been placed upon us to love one another. How easy it is on a Sunday morning to contemplate the love of God in Christ. And we often talk about that subject. It's one of my favorite subjects. I mean, we treat all different kinds of subjects and issues and learn different lessons here you know, in our Sunday morning services. Like, for example, on Sunday, we're going to be treating the subject of sin and how to overcome it. 
But uh, there's a lot of those messages that revolve around the subject of love and God's love for us, right? You know, our, our spirits are lifted. We're encouraged to, to love and, and uh, we're moved. And as the word goes forward and we're convicted, we make that kind of a commitment within ourselves, right, that we are going to be a better person. We're going to be different. And then on the way out of the fellowship, something happens or someone annoys us. And what happens? We go down and we fail. Remember here what John is exhorting us to do. He says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue. Yeah, we'll be praying for you. You know, be warm, be filled, right? And then really never offering any kind of a resolution to the problem that they have. But indeed, and in truth. Listen, folks, this is where the rubber meets the road. John is saying here, misbehavior is a denial of God. You cannot love in word and in thought only. We must constantly keep this danger in mind. So don't be content then with some vague general feeling of love, you know, those warm, fuzzy feelings kinds of a thing, and with some precepts that we don't put into practice. Now, that brings us to our third point this evening, and that is, and this, is, again, is a part of the, I guess, the definition of love, what we're talking about. Love must express itself. It is always active. You know, I wanted to come up with a cross-reference or a story from the Bible uh, that would exemplify this, and I came up with Luke's Gospel in Chapter 7, in verses 37 through 39. Let me set this up for you. On one occasion, Jesus was invited into uh, the house of a fellow whose name was uh, Simon, who was a Pharisee. And so we have this story of what happened in the house of Simon, who invited Jesus in for a meal. And all of a sudden, in the midst of this meal that had been taking place in this Pharisee's home, whom we believe was Simon, Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, and many people believe that that woman was none other than Mary Magdalene, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. So this would have been a, a real costly act of worship uh, on the part of this woman. And stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, referring to Jesus, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. But isn't that what Jesus was all about? Remember, he came to save sinners. That's what his ministry was really all about. Well, anyway, if you have the opportunity during the week, you want to read on in the, in the story. But now Jesus turns this whole conversation on to Simon and what the Lord said to him and all that were there present in effect was this. Simon, love is something which by its nature always expresses itself. It has to go into action. 
And if there is an absence of expression, the truth of the matter is it's not true love. So forget about talking about love, the fuzzy feelings. It's demonstrated in action. You see, the real trouble with the person who is alone with his book, you know, reading about the subject of love, and how many, you know, Christian books are written on the subject of love, think about it, reading his poems about love, who feels, yeah, that's me, I can relate to that, I've had those same kinds of feelings, I'm a very fine Christian, what's really going on to that person who's expressing that self to himself or he's thinking those thoughts, he's in love with himself. He has turned in upon himself. And this is the very opposite of love. So remember this. Love does not look at itself. It is absorbed in the object of its love. That is the person that he's demonstrating that love towards. Now, in verse 17, let's go back to verse 17. John brings us down to a practical level. He gives us this case of a man who shuts up his bowels of compassion. And obviously, this man had the juice. He had the resources to alleviate someone's suffering. It wouldn't have really cost him anything. Uh, he was probably someone who was a wealthy uh, individual. But notice, uh, he said he shuts up his bowels of compassion. In other words, he was someone who had no pity upon the person who was in need. So here is a man, well, let's read verse 17. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? That's a, a significant a question that he is asking here. This fellow that Jesus is referring to in this story does nothing. He goes on as if he never made contact with that individual who had the need. And John says of that person, there's no love of God in that man. Why? Because he's only thinking of himself. He may be thinking beautiful thoughts about the love of God, but really, if he hasn't gotten any further than that, it really doesn't amount to anything. If he had the love of God in him, he would have had to do something about it. He would have had to move in action. And then finally, our last point this evening provides for us a royal pattern, a royal example to follow. And that, of course, is none other than Jesus himself. Here's what real love looks like. Notice what John tells us in verse 16. He says, by this we know love. That, you know, that we really understand what love is all about. Whether or not we possess this virtue. That the love of God has been shed in our heart. Because he laid down his life for us. That is Jesus. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know, this particular passage of scripture reminds me of what is recorded for us by Paul the Apostle in Philippians chapter 2 in verses 5 through 8. He says, let this mind, and basically he's saying what John is telling us here in his, this text, in his epistle. Paul tells us, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is the attitude that should prevail in the lives of every Christian. This isn't just for the senior pastor of the church or the elders of the church, but 
even the new Christian. This is something that is to mark each and every one of us. Remember, Jesus said the badge of Christianity is love, that they would know that you're my disciples by your love one towards another. That's the badge of Christianity, not just talking about it, theorizing about it, right? But actively involved in this occupation of loving one another. So he gives us this example of Jesus. Who, and think about this, who being in the form of God, that is before the incarnation, God becoming a man in human flesh, Christ, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So notice in heaven, he was equal with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. Let's go on. But made himself of no reputation. This was a choice that he made. Taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Okay, so here's the question. What was the characteristics of that perfect life and love? And remember, we're talking about a royal example to follow after. Well, Jesus saw our predicament, and he had compassion upon us. Think about it. And what a, what a time to, to appear when, at that moment, think about what was going on, within, particularly within the nation of Israel. I'm sure that most of the Jews at that moment, when Christ was born, thought that God had turned his back upon his people Israel. I mean, at that moment, they were under tribute. They were under Roman occupation. And they must have at least thought that God had forgotten them that God had turned his back upon them. Things had gone from bad uh, to worse. And it was at that very moment where God sent his, his son into the world to die in our place upon the cross. You see, God, looking down from heaven, saw our predicament, saw us in our sin, saw us in our misery, his people, and he had compassion. There in the bosom of God, in eternity, he looked down upon us. He saw our tragedy. He saw our trouble. He saw our sin. He saw our condemnation, how that we were under the wrath of God. He saw it all, and he, and he had compassion. And so that's the first thing. God, give us this compassion for people. Put that in us. And listen, if you're not a very compassionate person, that's not a part of your personality or your makeup, you know, well, just ask God to work that into your heart, you know, to build that type of virtue within you. And I, I bet you that God will respond to that prayer. You can, in fact, I guarantee you, you can be sure of it. God, help me to be more compassionate. Widen my horizons. Make me as loving and compassionate as was your son, Jesus Christ. In my Father's house there's a place for me in my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. We invite you to connect with Pastor Mike and listen to more teachings from God's Word by visiting HarvestNYC.org. At our website, you'll learn all about his ministry and the church it stems from. Harvest Christian Fellowship. 
We'd love you to join us for worship this Sunday at 11 a.m. You can reserve your seat online by clicking on Contact. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, though, or if you're just unable to attend in person right now, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time of studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch up with previous messages, check out the link under Resources for One Place. Just click on the earphones to listen in. You can also watch other services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. How can we be praying for you right now? Feel free to fill out the contact form at harvestnyc.org. We're honored to lift you up to the Lord in prayer. Thanks for joining us today on In My Father's House.